Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode. Thank you for listening to us and coming back to the episode because it drives us to do better and get more host guests uh, and keep on doing better every time. Today we have uh, a little bit of an old episode that we managed to post-produce. Um, we had massive backlog last year. And Charity Ride, um, we recorded this back uh, probably around February or March, uh, pre-pandemic. So um, there was some, some noise about the pandemic still. So that, that, that's to, to leave you a little bit of context. But Charity it has a super interesting background. She comes from a military background. She was a linguist and she's uh, looked into um, Chinese languages and language pattern and now she is a little bit more into the disinformation or um, inside inside dark web and what they can find and what information can be provided by the hair company as part of the dark web and disinformation or information so please enjoy and let me welcome me charity right on the show and as every every time i say enjoy and stay safe this is francesco your host the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, where we hear the stories of information security professionals. This podcast explores different angles, out-of-the-box ideas, and the human element of cybersecurity. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP so we can continue to bring on amazing guests. You can watch videos of the interviews at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today, we have the absolute honor to have Charity Wright with us. This is your host, Francesco. I'd like to welcome you back, and I'd like to welcome Charity Wright on the show. Charity, how are you doing today? Thank you so much. I'm doing good. Thank you. Charity, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you've been busy up to, what you've been working, and a little bit of your history? Absolutely. So my name is Charity. I started my career in the U.S. Army in 2005, and I signed up to be a linguist. So I went to school. I learned Chinese for the Army, and then I was uh, you know, stationed at the National Security Agency for several years. So I spent most of my career in the military and in U.S. defense and then transitioned to cybersecurity in 2015 because um, cyber really seems like the future. So that's um, I've been working in cyber now for, you know, five years, and I'm currently working at a company called Insights Cyber Intelligence. And uh, it's an exciting job. So I'm loving it. No, that's great. And I've seen a lot of folks transitioning from, well, military, generally speaking, into cyber uh, in terms of threat assessment, in terms of risk assessment. But considering you you kind of knew not new <laughs> into cyber, what is, what is your uh, view of the land? What is your view of the world in, in cyber, overall state of the industry, if you want? I would say if I were to summarize it in one short phrase, I would say that cyber is the future of warfare and that's the direction we're going. So in terms of threat intelligence or in terms of overall like non-kinetic warfare? I'd say 
in many different ways, definitely threat intelligence. And it's not just talking about warfare between nation states. We're also talking about, uh, you know, fighting crime. Cybercrime is a huge problem worldwide, costing companies and... Dogs are welcome. Sorry. Don't worry. Dogs are welcome in the show. We had <laughs> we had many guests with dogs and we're in shelter. So dogs are absolutely welcome. <laughs> I have one dog. She gets really nervous. And anytime somebody walks in the room, she gets frightened. <laughs> but anyway, I think, you know, we're all trying to manage our own security of our own devices. But also a lot of us that work in the industry are fighting cybercrime every day. And that's really kind of a war that's going on that not a lot of people have insight into. No, that's great. And I think you have a a little bit of a unique perspective on on warfare being, if you want, both sides of the fence, private and and non-private. So how did did you stumble? Why did you decide to just, you know, go, go private sector or... How's your view changed from one, uh, from pure military to private sector? Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting. Everybody seems to have their own little journey. For me, to be very real with you, I was going through a divorce in 2014, and I decided to leave the Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. area and come to the Dallas, Texas area to be near family. So I became a single mom. I have two kids. I think there were four or five at that time. And I just decided, you know, I need to move home to Dallas to be near family. And I knew that was going to create a career change for me. I had to drop out of grad school um, to be able to take full-time work and provide for the kids. So I I knew like I'm going to have to reach beyond my comfort zone because there's not a lot of government agencies here in the Dallas area to work for. And nobody here really needs a Chinese cryptologic language analyst. So I started looking for intelligence analyst positions, and I stumbled across a job posting for a cybersecurity company. And usually you'll see it advertised as cyber threat intelligence, Mm -hmm. but in this case, it was just intelligence analyst. And it turns out what they were looking for was somebody like me with a background in an intelligence agency, somebody that knows how to analyze intel of all types. And when I went to interview with them, I laid it all on the table. I told them I have zero knowledge and experience about cyber, but I am, I have a plan. And part of that plan was, you know, getting my security plus certification Mm -hmm. and start with the foundation. And so my transition into cybersecurity, it felt like I was really just taking a very big risk and a chance, but I'm very thankful to that co- that company, um, which is Armor Defense. They're a secure MSSP, and they really took a chance on me. There were other military veterans there that interviewed me, and I told them, here's what I can bring to the table. Here's what I need to learn. And they said, no problem. We can teach you the cyber part. So that's, you know, I just spent the first year really working hard to learn about network security. And and I love that. I absolutely love that that story that because that, that's my flagship uh, recommendation is like everybody. I mean, there is a lot of spokes uh, from cyber, but there's also a lot of folks from left field, from other field that can come into this world with the mindset. So what I stress on is uh, cyber is nothing else than being curious and being able to assess risk. 
fundamentally, if you boil mm-hmm. it down, cyber is, is these two things. And anything else you can learn. But mindset, passion, focus, determination, you can't learn. Yeah. So I, I love that story. And, and I love and I love to meet people. Um, funny enough, I was with one of my CISO friends and he hired a nurse as a, as a threat assessor or as a, as a risk, risk assessor. And she's been catching up on cyber really, really quickly as soon as she starts seeing that it's not anything else than, you know, treating a patient, well, evaluating a patient as soon as you enter a ER is the same kind of procedure. Yeah. So she starts labeling things with, you know, uh, white, red. I don't know if in US you have the same white, red, red and a green label when you enter a ER. But she was threat assessing the incident like like patients. And, and I guess you... You kind of make those connections from your past experience and you think if you want new new way of thinking about cyber. And I think that's even more powerful because you bring something new to the table. I completely agree. One of the things I love right now about our industry is that there's such a diverse group of people working in cyber threat intelligence and cybersecurity in general. And I encourage that. Like I tell hiring managers, think outside the box. Because we need different perspectives to solve these very complex problems. But it's, it's difficult. So, so some folks challenge me and say, well, I need this thing solved right now immediately. So I can't have people to you know, learn up the curve. And it's fair enough. I mean, there are organizations that need to solve the problem quickly. But it's having that balance of you know, mentorship, coaching or learning on the job where you have a very experienced person and a junior person, maybe from a completely left field, that kind of goes along the path. And then you have this growing, uh, diverse uh, group of people that think left field, even diversity, not just men and women or, or, or different background, diversity in terms of background, diversity in terms of mindset, diversity in terms of how you think things. If you're ADHD or if you are dyslexic, uh, you might be worse at things and better at other things or, or things, things yes. in, in a completely different way. And I see that in a very diverse group. I totally agree. Yeah, I never thought I would be working in such a technical field, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> I think growing up, I wanted to be like a hairstylist or makeup artist or something. But you, you learn Chinese. You you are a Chinese, uh, Chinese <laughs> linguist. That is the, one of the hardest things. It's like cryptography. It's fundamentally yeah. stenography and cryptography and is, is interpreting things. So you could go really easy from a linguist to... Um, Study code analysis because that's about it is regular expression and, and reading that thing. So don't don't let yourself that's down. That's one good thing about the military. They will teach you how to do anything and everything. And then when you leave, you realize I can learn anything if I put my mind to it. Oh, like right. all it requires is some training and knowledge and some good leadership in your organization. <laughs> so I was just like, Hey, I don't know cyber, but if you want to pay me a good salary, I'm going to learn. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so thankful for that opportunity. It started at armor five years ago, but still sometimes I'll show up to a party at black hat or DEF CON and I'll run into the same people that hired me. And I still tell them, I give you guys the credit. Like, thank you for taking a chance on me. No, it, it's great. It's great that you managed to get into this field. And who knows, you, may, you might go back into the army, you might go back into a completely different technologist, but it's great that people took the chance on somebody. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm done with the army for now. I served <laughs> five active duty, 
five years in the Army National Guard here in Texas. And then in February of this year, I just retired, so medically okay. retired. But I'm I'm super grateful for that opportunity. Yeah. No, that's great. So if I can ask you maybe a left field, so you've done a lot of intelligence. So how do you see now, now world now nowadays that the intelligence field changing? So I'll give you some context. I was uh, reading, I was listening to the one one of my favorite podcasts today, that is Darknet Diaries, and they start one of the previous episodes. They went into psychological of psyops and how they were gathering intelligence on behavior of groups and things like that. So. Intelligence is such a vast field. Mm-hmm. How do you see how do you see that happening and applying, especially in this moment of pandemic? You know, I see over the past five or six years, I've seen some major changes in cyber threat intelligence, but also in the intelligence community worldwide. And I think the biggest change is collaboration. Okay. Before it was very segregated and very nationalistic because we're talking about usually national defense and intelligence agencies that are committed to protecting one country. And so sharing intelligence has been a challenge. And each country has their own allies. But I think what's really cool that's happening right now in CTI is this collaboration across borders, no matter where you are in the world, private sector and public um, intelligence agencies around the world are starting to share information, not only with each other, but with the general public. And that really enables us because they have very valuable information that we need to protect ourselves from cyber threats everywhere. Because, I mean, essentially, there are nation state, you know, advanced actors that are, you know, going after and attacking certain industries. But a lot of what we're confronting every day is just kind of, Who's the easiest to hit? Mm. Who's the easiest target? And so knowing how to protect ourselves from those criminals is, um, or is make, the biggest or, change. Or make us a little bit more uh, complicated than the neighbor be <laughs> next to us. Yes. Oh, it does. Yeah. Oh, is it? Well, there's, oh. it's interesting too, because the CTI community of, of people that do Intel is so tight. And then you find that you're working with people that served in militaries mm-hmm. in other countries. And it's kind of cool because usually everyone's relaxed about it. And we're like, okay, we're focused on one goal here, and that is to protect as much as we can around the world together. No, oh, that's great. That's a great message. Yeah, I'm an optimist, though. <laughs> Remember, you need, uh, we're going to conclude with a positive message. Don't burn out all the positive messages. <laughs> I had. I'll save. I'll save something for last. I had John Kinsella in the previous episode, and he was burning through the positive message. And I challenged him <laughs> at the very end with the positive message. Say, damn, I burned all them <laughs> during the conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but John, I have a lot of positive messages, though. I think we're, you know. I'll, I'll save some for the last. No, for it's, it's pretty. Um, uh, that's my style. I'm, I'm very positive. I'm always looking at the, the bright side of things. And, and I love to hear stories that the community is coming together, the community is helping each other, especially internationally, not just uh, military-based, but also operationally. And, and I was discussing with uh, John in one of the previous episodes. He said even from the OSIN perspective, from the social engineering community, they are really tied. From, from the analyst community, they're really, really tight. So it's great to hear. Yeah. But how do you, 
So if you want to give a lay of the land, how do you do your job as, a, as an analyst, if you want? Okay. What's, so, what's an analyst? Analyst 101 or, or cyber threat analyst? Yeah. Well, we're really just looking at any type of threat, in this case, cyber threats, and we're trying to find out all, all of the information about it. Who, what, where, when, you know, who are they targeting? Who are they? Where are they? What are they after? Um, everything we can know about the enemy is going to help us to protect ourselves. So what that looks like on a daily basis I means some CTI analysts are very technical. They're looking at network traffic from your company's networks and uh, looking for anomalies, anything that stands out or that doesn't belong um, that may indicate a threat or some kind of you know incident, like a breach. Mm-hmm or exfiltration of data. Um, we're trying to protect the crown jewels of the organization. And so that may mean, you know, customer data, um, employee data, credit card information, banking information, you name it, proprietary information. When I started doing CTI, I really f- focused heavily on open source intelligence which is anything on the internet you can get your hands on. Um, I guess that's a very simple definition. <laughs> no, I, li- I like it. I like simple definition. And, and I think OCD yeah. is pretty much it. It's like it's a framework yeah. to actually operate with whatever you get. Even when you browse your employee, you don't realize but you're doing OSINT. Yes. So in my military position, I used to do signals intelligence. So What's signal intelligence? too far on what that is without giving away classified information, (laughs) but uh, any kind of signals that can be intercepted, analyzed, and, you know, pull the intel out of there, whatever valuable information you need. For my job, I was protecting U.S. assets in the Pacific Ocean, U.S. and allied assets, I should say. So that was one type of intelligence. Coming over to cybersecurity, we're looking at not only internally what's happening in our networks and network traffic, but we're also looking externally because we're dealing with cyber criminals Mm -hmm. that gather in illicit marketplaces and forums and talk about who they're targeting and what they're after. So what I'm doing now at Insights, I really love because it is very much open source. We do a lot of undercover intelligence collection. We go undercover into these hacker forums and the dark web illicit, you know, illicit places and collect as much information as we can on what is trending in cybercrime and what criminals are talking about. So we're looking at, you know, credit card data being sold on marketplaces, PII, a lot of social security numbers out there, but also mentions of specific company names. Like we have some of the biggest um, organizations in the world as customers, and we have automated, fully automated the process to collect the data, data and then human analysts get eyes on the intel and kind of filter out false positives and make sure it's timely and relevant and actionable. Great. And that's that's interesting because that, uh, I want to know more about getting into the dark side of uh, of affecting the web and the various level. And I can't discuss too much, but I was involved in, in something like that. And I know how hard it is to you know, polish and make sure your avatar is credible, you have credibility, so you get admitted in certain forums. 
because the more small circle you are, the more accurate the information is, I guess. So how did yes. you how did you go that on a daily basis? You just gather information, or you just you know polish the reputation of your avatar? How, how do you go day by day? Well, I guess there's the manual side and the automatic side. The automated side, you know, we have algorithms and machine learning that collect a lot of that intel and scrape those sources, the ones that can be scraped. And then we have ways of parsing through and looking for specific mentions of information mm -hmm. that we're interested in. But the manual side is we have a huge team, I want to say maybe 30, 30 or more analysts and researchers that are actually going into logging into these forums and not only observing, but also engaging with the sellers. So oftentimes a customer will ask us to purchase a sample of, of a malware or purchase a sample of data that the criminal has and will go engage with uh, that seller, sometimes negotiate, sometimes participate in auctions and do bids and actually purchase data off of the dark web on behalf of those companies. Oh, that's interesting. So you effectively want to validate if the information is right or how much leverage do they have. And do you have some gouge on what is the consequence? So usually it's data breach or ransomware, or what is, what is the rationale for those people to have the information stolen? Sometimes it's a breach of some sort. Sometimes it's botnets that have been compromised or certain computers that are, have been turned into bots mm -hmm. and all of the you know credentials from their browser have been stored there and then they're uploaded automatically into a marketplace. Sometimes it's um, you know somebody will pop up on one of the more exclusive forums and say, "Hey, I have a hundred classified documents from the u s government for sale for a million dollars or something. And then they'll show some samples of it. The data really is sourced from so many different places. I mean, if a point of sale system at a restaurant is compromised, then all those credit cards are going to be for gotcha. sale on the market. Yeah. It, I mean, it comes from all different places, but we see a lot of corporate data, a lot of um, health information for sale. Those are some of the, the highest valued um, information. Oh, and something that I'm actually working on right now, one of my major projects that I just wrapped up is I went on to um, all of our top forums and marketplaces, mm -hmm. started pulling out the average and estimated prices for certain data. Oh, that's great. I, I actually did an article some time ago on the average price of your Netflix account, yes. of your credit card or your PII to to for my client to say, this is, it's so cheap. Yeah. You know, access to a, a particular server at a major company might be, you know, let's say it's an active directory server for mm -hmm. credentials and access to people's credentials and accounts. It might be auctioned off for $5,000 on a dark web forum, but to that company, it's worth so much more. So we, I made like a, a list of all different types of data and products that you can get on the dark web and then multiply it by how many uh, assets are in that particular company. Like, let's say how many servers they have, how many mm -hmm. employ U.S. employees, you know, et cetera. 
and then put an actual value of here's what your company is worth on the dark web. That's great. You should blog about it. You should publish. I'm happy to reshare and I'm really interested actually to read it. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'm going to write a blog about it shortly. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's a great information because it makes it makes the case for other company realize, okay, a post-data breach is not just the damage, it's the damage of this information getting out or how easy it is to access because effectively criminals try to choose the least part of resistance. So gathering information, you know, attacking and finding vulnerability is a lot of time. If they find that maybe it takes, I don't know, 10 days to do reconnaissance or they can go on the dark web, uh, five grand, they get information of how to access an RDP server somewhere using three or four chain of exploit because somebody else has done it mm-hmm. or there is a botnet access with the command and control somewhere. Why not? Yeah. You know, if they have the access to the farm. And actually, what, what is the currency nowadays on, on the dark web? Currency? Crypto. Yes. Crypto across the board. Any kind of <laughs> but most of the time we pay with Bitcoin. Um, some people will say, hey, use PayPal. And we're like, no, bro. <laughs> no, we're, we'll, we'll stay anonymous as, as much as possible. But yeah, Bitcoin is, is the language they speak. Okay, no, it hasn't changed. No, not much. (laughs) But you'd be surprised that the communication methods are kind of the same. Like ICQ is still really popular for hackers to talk to each other and for sellers. And I think a lot of people are surprised about that. Like ICQ, I used that a long time ago. Yeah, I used to to run chat on that like ages ago when I was a kid. Yep. Exactly. They like to avoid anything that's tied to their personal cell phone account. So null and WhatsApp, anything like that, they usually avoid unless they have some kind of burner phone or non-attributable phone. Discord is still very popular. What else? I'm trying to think. Hold on. I'm sorry. But um, yeah, all different kinds of messengers that are used to communicate. And so it's a big part of our analyst training to get familiar with those different channels and you can actually search through you know like telegram groups and discord for mentions of certain assets which is really a valuable tool so you can do data data analysis or collecting data based on these chats yes absolutely so demystifying the dark web so you you buy you buy from a lot of these people or your company effectively interact with a lot of these people and my general suggestion uh, to my client is don't don't feed the cyber criminals so how do you deal with that dichotomy so do you buy you don't buy what's your suggestion yeah you know this is a really i think it's a really important debate and there seems to be a lot of people on both sides of the fence like If you buy products from the criminals, you're just putting money in their pocket and encouraging them, kind of like paying a ransom. Um, Yeah. But then on the other side, you know, it's if a bank comes to us and they say, hey, I want to buy these these bank cards that are being sold on the dark web They're They belong to our bank. It's our bin number. So I would rather pay forty dollars for each of those cards then have the criminal get a hold of it and max out the card, you know, let's say it's $10,000 for a credit limit, um, then the bank would be liable for that too. Mm -hmm. So we, at Insights, we leave it in the hands of the customer. 
we let them know what we can do and what we can't do. I think it's really important right now to address this. There's actually something that recently came to light. When we purchase something, we only hand over the data that belongs to that customer and is related to that customer. Oh, interesting. We have to protect people's privacy as much as possible. And that means eliminating any extraneous information that may not relate to a cyber threat to that company. And it's really more of an ethical dilemma because let's say if a company pays to buy an entire bot worth of credentials, we just pull out what's related to their domain, their domain name or their website and the credentials for that. So they can reset it for that employee or customer. But sometimes people ask for the entire data set, data set, which is a lot of very personal records of like browsing history and login credentials that could be very personal. And we mm-hmm. don't hand over all of the extra stuff, only what relates to the company. And we have had people tell us, oh, well, other intelligence vendors will give me the whole thing. And because it's easier. Well, we can't regulate what other people are doing, but we feel it would be unethical to, you know, hand over all this very sensitive information. No, kudos to that. I mean, karma, karma is is there. So kudos for for being responsible in handling personal information. I think that's yeah, because there's is a good another is a good and positive message. Right. There's so much gray area when mm. you're dealing with cybercrime and you're actually working with criminals. Like for one, you can't always expect that you're going to get what they say they're selling because they are, they're scammers, they're criminals. Like they don't, you know, care about hurting people's feelings or ripping you off. So there's always a risk involved in making purchases from these types of forums. How, how do you, how do you gouge, for example, if something is really, something is not real, how do you risk assess uh, the validity of the information. Yeah, tell me, tell me about, uh, tell me about some trades uh, that that happened, or some funny stories or <laughs> dark stories, if you want. Oh God! If you can disclose as much as you can. Yeah, I I can kind of sanitize one story. One story involves um, a Russian dark web forum. It's pretty exclusive, so you really need to have native Russian speakers and linguists. Mm-hmm. assigned to working on these forums because they'll ask you all types of um you know questions that only native russians would know cultural so you're in so in this particular story we were trying to bid on an auction and it was um an industry they they didn't say the specific company that they had mm-hmm. access to but they had access to servers in a particular industry and it happened to be some kind of critical infrastructure. And so we sent out an industry-wide alert to all of our customers that are in that type of infrastructure organization. And one of them said, we want to bid on the auction. And we're like, okay, you understand you're you're going to put out $5,000 and whatever that translates to in our credit system. And you may not have anything in here related to your company. It might be one of your competitors and we can't hand that data over to you because it would be access to somebody's actual server. So uh, we did end up winning that auction. It did not have to do with that particular customer. 
Oh, Jesus. To, we, we swallowed the cost of that one. And then that opened up an opportunity to actually have a conversation in our company about what are we going to do for these types of um, alerts or purchases in the future. Because it could turn very, very quickly, not blackmailing, but, you know, kind of suggestion. We kind of have your information and then is a, is a fine grain line between do you disclose it for free? You're still a for-profit company, but holding that information is kind of a gray area. Yes. Hey, Francesco here. A very quick message from our sponsor and then we return back. This podcast is brought to you by the generosity of NSC42 Limited, your cybersecurity partner. Cybersecurity is complex and different for every organization, and you need the best tailored service to make sure your customer's data is safe and sound so you can focus on what's important, focusing on your clients and bringing the best and safest experience. NSC42 Limited can help you during your cloud transformation, cybersecurity assessment for your compliance checklist on-premise and on the cloud. Want to know more? Visit www.nsc42.co.uk to get your free quote. So how do you how do you handle with, for example, police or other other you know forces where you hold this information and you keep you could become effectively uh, a golden pot for other hacker or for other attackers? Yes. So one thing I feel very strongly about is that it's not right to be an ambulance chaser or try to, you know, manipulate some company and say, oh, I have this data. Um, and if you sign up as a customer, I'll give it to you. I don't think that's right. Because you kind of breach the fence of I effectively turning into a criminal. Right. Exactly. Um, we're not trying to hold it hostage. Like, this belongs to them. So we either, you, I think, personally, I think that you should hand it over to law enforcement in that jurisdiction or mm -hmm. just give it to that organization. You know, a lot of salespeople are like, no, 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 it's such a good opportunity. But what is that going to say to them? If you say, here's some free data, this is something we purchased. It, it only applies to you. Here's your data back from the threat actor. Shut down you know, change those credentials to that server so nobody can access it. And by the way, if you need intelligence help, we're here for you. Like, we'd love to give you a free demo or try out our platform for a couple of weeks for free. So I think that's a much better way to go about it. But without like holding the carrot in front of them, like, if you become a customer, I'll give you this. I'll give you your data back. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Something that is really important to point out right now is that the U.S., I think it was Department of Justice, just put out guidance recently on how to handle these kinds of business, how to do business on illicit forums. And they even mentioned that if that information belongs to somebody else, it should be given to them or returned to them. Um, so like, you know, obviously not giving that data to somebody but reporting it to law enforcement is a great way to go about it. Yeah, or maybe that the US government can put on on a phone that everybody can bid on and saying we have this information, give us I mean it's, it's still a private company, so that money goes out. It's not charity. Yes. So I get that. But uh, doing what's right is always more important because it's a fine line between 
a ransom effectively instead. I have your data. Give me the give me some money. I give you back the data. That's very true. It's, it's, it's almost a commercial discussion. Yes, yes. I, you know, in the CTI community, we're all very close. Even those of us that work for competing vendors. But I love that because I started out in the corporate side doing Intel for like Hilton Worldwide and Ernst and Young and big companies internal. But decided to make the big jump to the vendor side so that I could get into the dark web more. And still, we have such tight friendships in the community. You know, even when I was working for big corporations, some of my Intel friends would reach out and they work for vendors. They'd say, here's some valuable information about somebody that's targeting your company. And I, oh, that's great. you know, it's, it's good karma. Like you said, it's good karma. No, it's great. And I think the, the community is the stuff that I love about cyber is sometimes can be vicious, especially on Twitter, but sometimes can be so wonderful of people helping each other, mentoring each other and high-fiving each other. And, and I think the conference is where this thing plays. Yeah. And talking about actually conference, which conference do you usually go to? Uh, specialized and non-specialized? Non-specialized, I attend RSA, Black Hat, DEF CON, and I try to get speaking spots at those big conferences, mm -hmm. um, as well as some of the smaller ones like Black Hat Europe and RSA um, in Singapore. Mm -hmm. But then the more specialized ones, I like to attend as as like, a, a learner I like to go to smaller groups like hacker meetups in the Dallas area. And of course, you know, me and my CTI friends, we established the CTI pros meetup group years ago. Okay. It was a bunch of the, the guys from Intel 471 and um, I mean, Johanna, she's, I forgot. I think she was at anomaly at the time. But we started the CTI Pros Meetup Group here in Dallas so that no matter where you work or who you work for, you can come together and kind of vent about, about <laughs> some of our frustrations of working in this industry. I, 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 and I, I, love, I love how this conference become effectively kind of therapy and support group of venting. Yes, <laughs> it is. Hey, cybersecurity pays well. It's frustrating. Stressful. Like pay us well for yeah. a reason, you know. And it seems like we're always kind of under, uh, undermanned and overworked, but it's nice to have those small groups too. And I think that is like the CTI pros group, I was going to say is my favorite. It's probably my favorite cybersecurity meetup. Please send me the link so I can put it in the comments. Hmm. Uh, I can put it in the comment for whoever is listening in the, in the podcast comment so they can uh, either join or. Absolutely. It's open to CTI practitioners. Okay. Yeah. And what other conference or meetup do you go more specialistic or less specialistic? Which one is your favorite? You know, I don't want to sound like a commercial, but the SANS CTI Summit was really great. Mm -hmm. That's where I got my start doing um, speaking at conferences. And, you know, Rick Holland and the crew there, they have a great board. It's a great opportunity to mingle and like really focus on what is most relevant to CTI analysts. Because a lot of the bigger cybersecurity conferences are, it's more of a wide topic, you know, talks. So the SAN CTI Summit was really good. And also Trace Labs does um, OSINT capture the flag events. And sometimes they pair it with like a summit. 
And mm-hmm. the thing that Insights is actually working with Trace Labs on is creating our own uh, Dallas version of the event. So those are the very specialized ones that I really like. And you've done any CTF in uh, in general, like the Lost Men CTF or the, or the other popular OSINT one? Yeah, I've, you, you know compete? what? I haven't participated in the competition, but I volunteered as a judge. Oh, that's great. Get to kind of see the tips that are coming in and gauge what they're worth in the competition. So I think that's a really good way to kind of um, get familiar with how the competition works. And have you seen any particular trend between the European team and the US team? Oh, gosh. The way they think? Um, not, not really. I have to admit, so I work, Insights is uh, based in Israel. And mm-hmm. I feel really, really blessed to be able to work with such a diverse international team because most of the analysts and researchers at Insights have served in IDF. And some have been in Mossad and Unit 8200. And um, it's been great to be able to collaborate with them and learn from them. They have great OSINT techniques that I had never seen, especially mm. as it relates to, you know, defending against Iran and um, terrorism and things like that. So it's been um, really great to see kind of different worldviews and different perspectives as it comes into CTI. I've learned a lot from them. So going back to the diversity and how it's important to have even cultural diversity. Yes. And not trying to stick to the same diversity that everybody's speaking about. (laughs) Absolutely. We learn so much from each other because sometimes our agencies work in very similar ways and sometimes it's very different. When I went to train in Tel Aviv with that team, it was amazing how it felt very much like brotherhood, like the U.S. military and the Israeli military people that I've worked with, we kind of have the same pace and processes. Um, but like I said, I've, they've taught me so much about cyber threat intel that I had never learned at NSA. Oh, that, 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 that's great in collaboration and the, the diverse background. But since you, since you touch on the international subject, how did you see the... U.S. versus China evolution. I mean, you're you expert in their language, in their culture. So have you seen in, in the recent years, without going too political, uh, the relation deteriorating and maybe malicious actor focusing a little bit more on the U.S. or less? What have you seen changing in the past like five years with the relationship and going a little bit hotter? Yeah, major changes in the past five years. I want to say one of the trends that I've noticed is that China has been expanding their presence globally. And while I I can't attest to, let's say, if they have taken their focus off of the U.S., because we know that they've started targeting private sector more um, than they used to, but it's just very obvious how they're physical and cyber presence has expanded around the world and they're trying to establish new footholds for let's say power over land and resources because it's mm-hmm. really important for their survival and for the legitimacy of the communist regime they need to be able to provide for those billions of people um, in their country so you know definitely they have kind of taken on this kind of colonial tactic and spreading around the world. 
Um, but also, I think, like I mentioned, it's interesting how their APTs, their very advanced threat groups, have kind of pivoted over to targeting private sector organizations um, for intellectual data theft, basically. Espionage operations have increased in industries because they're trying to strengthen their economy. They're trying to develop new technology that they have the playbook for. They don't have the scripts for it, so they go and take it from somewhere else and then develop that new te technology in their own country. So interesting to see how that also fits into their bigger picture, which China is very focused on the big picture. They're not in a hurry to win and like take number one place in the world right away. They're doing a steady climb and that involves, um, you know, economic strength and power primarily, and then also an increase in their military technology and the effectiveness of it. So they take small steps. And when I first came into this industry, it seemed like they were in a little bit of a lull. Like they were kind of quiet. We had some kind of peaceful treaty between China. There were there was definitely a decrease in activity from their military cyber operations. Um, but then over the past few years, we've seen that increase quite a bit and they've really ramped it back up again. Unfortunately, you know, tensions have been high between our countries, but I think there's a mutual understanding that that peace is in the best interest of all of our economies. Or constant war, or constant silent war. Yeah. And cyber warfare, as you say, it, it's, it's, uh, the war is shifting from pure kinetic because it's so expensive and it's so unfruitful to more information and, and knowledge war, as you say. Yeah, for sure. And if you want, how did you see the situation escalating with COVID with information or disinformation of reason? Yeah, so disinformation is something that I've been studying quite a bit over the past year. And immediately, you know, in December, when we started hearing about coronavirus in China, I started observing and just watching what kind of news are we getting from Chinese like state sponsored media outlets? What are they suppressing? And then also monitoring chatter on social media platforms, including native Chinese platforms, um, and just trying to watch what is happening. And it was immediately very obvious how they were stepping in and silencing the whistleblowers. Um, some media outlets that had come from other countries or areas like Hong Kong had been silenced and told to leave the hospitals and not report on what was happening. So that was, you know, expected because we've seen um, the Communist Party, you know, we've seen them do that before. But then as it started spreading around the world and Italy and around Europe and the U.S., um, I think it was interesting to start seeing the misinformation and fake news coming out and conspiracy theories about this is a U.S. planned, you know, bioweapon. And then people were firing back with like, no, it was and it came from Canadian. I lab. think it, it came out Canadian at a certain point. And then I heard uh, it's a Chinese lab near the uh, Wutang, uh, yeah. Wuhan uh, region. Yeah. So immediately it became very confusing. It's like there's so much information coming at us all at once. We don't know what to believe or what's real. 
essentially mm-hmm. the purpose of disinformation. It's not to change your mind about what you believe. It's to it's to confuse you completely. And also to make you feel more extreme about how you believe. So, you know, we've seen examples like that from Russia. They know how to split the U.S. population in half and really, um, you know, get people fired up and divided. During the election, during the latest election campaign, yes. they had a pers- well, they had a very strong grudge against yes. the Clintons, and we saw the aftermath of that. Mm-hmm. And we've seen China um, also putting out, you know, um, you know, just all kinds of confusing information about about coronavirus. So it seems to be slowing down a little bit, but the first few months that it really hit around the world was it's pretty uh it's a pretty time for everybody to figure out what to believe and what's real. Chaos. So how did did then uh, everybody working from home that that uh, increase of spam and ransomware and of course data breaches how did that impact uh, effectively uh, your community? So have you seen a complete shift, like a dramatic shift of uh, uh, events, power, and effect? Or has uh, the threat intelligence community and, and effectively people that sell stuff or the web maintain a steady stream of same old? Um, March and April were pretty rough. It was a dramatic increase in threats like phishing, phishing domain registrations, phishing websites, in you know, in all of last year, the entire 2019, there were only a few hundred mentions of the terms coronavirus or COVID. And then in January, February, March, it started increasing exponentially. A regist- For phishing campaign. Yeah, domain phishing domain registrations. It was, you know, three thousand, then eight thousand, and then next month it was forty thousand domains registered with those terms. And Jeez. so what that means for those of us that try to help remediate these things, if it is directly related to one of our customers or phishing, you know, their employees or customers, then we issue automatic takedown notices to get those domains taken down. So quite mm-hmm. a lot of work um, the first month, and then we started kind of catching up. But you know how it is. Anytime there's a new vulnerability, a new zero day, everyone. Everybody's flare up. And it's like this mad rush for work and to pull people in on this one incident. And then we kind of get a breather before the next thing comes. <laughs> but how, how did you dealt? And how did you, if you know other people in the community, how did they dealt with this, you know, surge of work? How do you keep on dealing with this surge of work and maintain sane? <laughs> yeah. And specifically during Corona time where everything is, is so stressful and, you know, nothing is the norm. It's not like working from home is everything is upside down. Yes. Um, you know, I think this whole situation, if we want to talk about the human factor, we are yeah. humans and we are dealing with not only this huge increase in workload, but also we're all working from home. A lot of us have kids and pets and it's just so much distraction but our workload really increased a lot too. Um, and I, you know, it seems like every company was dealing with it different. Really mm-hmm. glad that at Insights, we just focused on really connecting together a lot. So scheduling, you know, a 15 minute, you know, video call where we don't have to talk about work. We can just check on each other and say hi to each other's pets and kids, basically. 
or scheduling a happy hour at the end of the week. But um, I think that it has been a really stressful time for cybersecurity practitioners all over the world. One of our biggest, one of our biggest, I guess you could say, increase in work came from we started helping the WHO. Mm-hmm. You know, we we went to them and offered them our services and said, hey, whatever we can do to help you right now is going to help the whole world. Because we noticed that there was, you know, a lot of phishing happening for the World Health Organization website. And so we have been helping them a lot. And that was, you know, quite a lot of work, but it's worth it. Because in the, in the end, we're essentially stopping those threat actors in their steps. If you look at the chain of, you know, a phishing domain is registered here, then a website is put up, then an email is sent out. If we can stop them as soon as that domain is registered and get that taken down, then we're like crushing hopes and dreams of <laughs> fishing people, <laughs> fishing people I, I, for I, money. I love, the, I, love, I love the crushing the dreams of the hacker. <laughs> oh gosh, somebody's going to target me now. <laughs> but it could it, it could have a little piece of WHO, but no, you crush his dream. <laughs> That'll be my new avatar, hacker dream crusher. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh god, <okay>, sorry. <laughs> I, I think he agrees. Yeah, yeah. Hacker dream, ha- hacker dream crusher <laughs> is gonna be your new thing. <laughs> we're gonna make t-shirts out of it. You know, we're just we're just trying to be the pain point for them and stop it early in the attack chain so that. You don't ever have to deal with a large scale phishing campaign in your enterprise organization. Like we've already had that domain taken down and their mail server is, you know, is done. So that's the intel is, you know, coming from the military background, it's not okay to act on intel after an attack. You have to, you have to have intelligence that will help you stop the attack or avoid the attack altogether. And I think that's really our goal is to make it actionable and make sure it's timely and get it in the hands of everyone who needs it. And I think coming from the military background, you understand this more than anybody else. And is that very important things because in, in the war zone, in the war field, uh, having real fresh threat intel action very, very quickly can mean life and death for people while in cyber it's saving money. It could be saving people ultimately when we go in the IoT world or, or who knows the new welfare, cyber welfare is going to be. But it's that left field that I appreciate. Uh, no, uh, cyber community by default doesn't have unless it's been exposed to military yes. training. Yeah, I think, you know, right now we're helping companies save money and reduce their risk, but Someday it's going to involve, you know, protecting people from critical infrastructure being taken down. And I mean, there are, you know, organizations that really focus on that particular industry. But, you know, I really do believe that cyber is the future of warfare. And that's going to be a matter of protecting people's lives and livelihood. And everything is connected. Yeah. But instead of going to the doom and gloom, we reach almost the hour. So I promise. Uh, we reached 40 minutes, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> the conversation was so bloody interesting. So uh, I'd like to thank you, Charity. And you have now the challenge of giving the, far, well, 10 seconds positive uh, positive vibe about cybersecurity. <laughs> um, the fact that we've made so many huge advances in detecting threats and also really paying attention to the human factor 
I'm really encouraged in the fact that we're bringing in psychology to be able to analyze how these criminals are thinking and be able to like get where they are and, you know, think like the threat actor helps us protect ourselves. So I'm very hopeful. I think the industry is going the right direction. And now we're starting to hire all different kinds of people, which is advanced <laughs> even better. So that's our little positive note to end on. No, I, I love the positive note. And thank you, Charlie Wright, for coming here and sharing your view on Threat Intel. And this is your host, Francesco. So I wish to thank everybody for joining in. And I'll see you next. Thank you. Thank you. And stay safe. Awesome. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, consider leaving us a review or sponsoring us on Patreon. It helps us bring on amazing guests and keep the podcast alive and free. Consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP and watch other episodes at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Thank you.